Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, supported by product partner 40 Thieves Nut Butters. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Vanessa Sorensen, Managing Director of Microsoft New Zealand. Vanessa's story really is inspirational. She faced more obstacles than most through a challenging childhood that saw her at times sleeping on the floor of a caravan park in Cairns and showing the gumption that she would become known for and that was necessary for her to succeed in the male-dominated IT industry, Vanessa decided there had to be a better life for her and came over to New Zealand, where she began her journey in tech, first of all as the receptionist at a neighbour's IT company. She later progressed into sales, but again faced significant challenges as her integrity was questioned over accusations of theft, due to which she was fired. Drawing upon her resilience and determination that was to become one of her hallmarks, Vanessa fought back and was later cleared of all wrongdoing. Then meeting her husband Chris, also in IT and a massive Harley-Davidson fan, Vanessa started to climb through the ranks of various IT companies including Wang, Jenai and Spark, and in 2020 she became the head of Microsoft New Zealand. Vanessa's become well known for her work to get more women, more Maori and Pacifica, more workers with disabilities and more LGBTQ plus people into the tech industry. So that's enough from me. Recently returned from her trip with the Prime Minister and other business leaders to the USA, here's Vanessa to share some of what she's learned along the way. Welcome to the show. Kia ora. Thanks for having me, Ben. So what an amazing journey from a caravan park in Cairns to travelling with the Prime Minister over to the US. Who would have thought? Even Amazing. I am pinching myself. It is pretty, pretty crazy and not something I could have ever dreamt of uh, in those earlier years uh, that are so critical um, to, to what you want to be and what you want to aspire to be. And did you did you did you plan your career or how did it how did it evolve? Not at all, not at all. And so yeah, I think it's definitely having the type of upbringing I did, you would never wish on anybody, but it certainly created a toughness, but also, I dreamt big. I remember being about 12 or 13 and knowing I would get out. I remember picturing a house in Mount Eden with a white picket fence and a BMW. Wow. And when I finally got that, I was like, okay, I've got to keep thinking bigger. And so it was never about, it was about the stability, to be honest. And when I came back to New Zealand as a 17-year-old and knocked on my father's door, he thought my car had broken down and didn't really know who I was. Uh, after about five or six days living with him, he said, man, you need a job. And so, yeah, really fortunate that his next-door neighbour had kicked off a tech startup. I'd never even used a computer before. Wow. Luckily, I, I learned typing, so I was a touch typist. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was my that was my uh, my strength. <laughs> and, yep. um, yeah. yeah, landed that role, which started out as a contractor and morphed into where I am today. So, so as an industry, tech has always been quite, you know, male dominated. So, tell me about how that how that was back in the day when you started. Well, sadly, I'm still sometimes the only female around the table, and I, I, you know, it, it was it was really, but I never thought about it. To be honest, mm. it was never something that I pictured. I joined as the receptionist, but found myself selling to customers because the startup business actually was very very early days selling Microsoft product and other product. And, and I I just found myself genuinely interested in 
in the deal and the chase of the deal. And so I never ever really thought about gender until maybe about being in the industry about five or six years. Mm. And I just remember thinking, wonder why more women don't support other women? Why is it that it feels so competitive? Mm. Because there were so few of us, it actually became a bit of a superpower. And I look back and I just think, yeah, the magic actually of women linking arms and doing stuff together, you go faster, you create more incredible innovation outcomes. And it wasn't until really joining when Telecom bought Wang that it really became quite apparent to me because by then I was in a very senior sales position, mm. genuinely going and presenting and being the only woman. And I remember once walking into a boardroom and someone asked, could I make them a coffee? Mm. And it was just, they just assumed that I was there carrying the briefcases for other people. And wow. um, and it was just at that point that I thought, wow, this is actually, this this looks and feels not how it should. Mm, mm. And so I re really became interested in starting to see, well, if I ever wanted to be a CEO, who do I look up to? And the only two women CEOs at the time was Teresa Gadding mm. uh, at Telecom yeah. and Barbara Chapman at ASB Bank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They are the only two that I could look for and I read up about them and how were they doing it, what did they need to do. And so that's really where my passion became about changing the percentage for women, not only in senior roles, but actually in tech in general. Uh, we're still fundamentally, you know, the percentages are not where they need to be. We uh, are well underrepresented still today. How does how does it feel being being a female leader in tech? Because because now you know that you're a role model to to other aspiring leaders. Do you feel a weight of responsibility? I don't. But I used my voice. I was generally always wielded out as the diverse hire. And, right. and I ne that never sat well with me. Mm -hmm. And I was always someone that never thought you should have quotas in your business around employing more women. But at Microsoft, we became extremely intentional. Mm. And what I enjoyed about that journey, and I could see it in myself throughout the years, is if you're interviewing a man and a woman... And the woman comes in and says, actually, I only have 10% or 20% of the skills, so maybe I'm not the right person for the role. Mm -hmm. You generally believe them. And so what we decided was actually, let's stay curious for longer. What would you need to succeed? Let's ask more questions. And then you know what? Let's hire them anyway and wrap the support around them. And I'm just so proud of the percentages of women in Microsoft, but of all walks of life, not just women, but of Māori, Pacifica, Asian, like all different cultures, because that to me is what diversity and inclusion is about, not just the women hiring, but it has to start there as well. So yeah, it's been a journey, but I've had to go and relearn a lot about my own bias, about the way we write job ads, the way we interview, and actually, one of the funniest stories was when I was offered proactively a role. It never even went out to market. And the leader at the time said, Vanessa, so-and-so's resigned. You're it. This big senior role. And I'm really embarrassed to say, I said, are you sure you don't want to go out to market and see if there's someone better? Now, luckily, he said, we knew you'd say that. <laughs> you are right for this role. Yes. You deserve it. Yes. But I do remember hearing some of the chatter. Did she get it because they need the female quota? Mm -hmm. I remember... Mm -hmm. 
feeling that and hearing that. Yeah, yeah. And that's just not okay. And I look back and I absolutely was the right person for the role. So to answer your question, I don't necessarily feel a weight, but I feel it's my role now leveraging the platform with Microsoft to make a change. And that's got to be about action, not talk. And that's going further than gender, isn't it? Because some of the work Dan Walker's doing, for example, around you know around indigenous communities, that's that's leading globally. Oh, he's the global co-chair of Indigenous for REIG uh, for Microsoft, mm. and this is what I love about the cultural change that we have been on. You know, when I joined Microsoft four and a half years ago, I was asked by the then leader Barry to lead the Maori and Pacifica Council. Right. I thought, great, that sounds fabulous, and I said, well, where are they all? <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, all the Māori and Pacifica people. Um, he goes, oh, well, no, no, no. We, we do a lot of speaking engagements. And, right. And I got hold of this group and we said, what are our big goals? Mm. And our big goals had to be around hiring. And, you know, we talk about the women percentages. Māori and Pacifica are 1% to 2% of tech roles. It is so yeah. low. Yeah. So we made a real conscious decision to partner with Tupatoa. <laughs> and the five interns we got that year were all Māori and Pacifica. And look, that wasn't, that wasn't for everyone's cup of tea. That didn't feel inclusive to other areas. But we had to start walking the talk. Mm. And the other areas, we really wanted to preserve the language. So, you know, launching Namotu, which is the Minecraft version in Te Reo. Yes, and watching all the kids learning Te Reo yeah, with yeah, Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then education. So, yeah, you know, programs like 10K Wahini, mm -hmm. where we want to inspire 10,000 women of all walks of life to consider roles in tech. And Dan and I are like brother and sister from another mother. We definitely are. Uh, in fact, we were joking when he first started three years ago, it felt slightly embarrassing to say kia ora. And now we have about 15 full immersive Toreo speakers who went through a tertiary education for 10 months wow. uh, within our business. Fantastic. Mm. Okay, now let's let's go back. You were talking about the fact that you love the deal, yep. you love the chase, and so you started off in sales. So tell me, tell me what you love about sales because the context for this question is sales can have a bit of a bad rep. So I'm mm. keen to understand why you love it, what you love about it. See, I think sales is problem-solving. I think there's always a need and a want. And I just loved meeting customers and understanding their business and the complexities in it and how tech could really enable them. I think it was just kind of that dream match. And I was just so intrigued to be able to spend time with business leaders. I felt um, you know, really in awe of being welcomed in. And businesses sharing their problems. Mm. Now, back then, I was selling box products, you know, with yep. CDs and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I truly felt like it was, I didn't realise on I was in something so early days. But then seeing the project come to life. Mm. So it wasn't about just selling the thing. It was actually seeing the enablement for that customer. And that's where I really knew that it was absolutely a career for me. And... I've always felt proud of that badge that I'm in sales. I still write, you know, on the form with the flight, you know, what do you do? Sales. Do you? I think, yeah. I awesome. Think, I think we all are. Mm, mm. And I think it's if you can embrace it and, you know, it's it pays well. It's incredibly challenging. It's not all great. I've learned more about myself through the failures and not winning than I have through winning. 
And I think it's just such an incredible career. I really, I feel so privileged that that I've, I had that foundational background in selling and and now I believe I lead people better because of that. Why? Why is that? You break down the complexity of what it is that you're selling. There's a need and a want. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to learn, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth, so we have to stop and listen more. And I think... Otherwise, you know, you talk past the sale, and I certainly did that when I was younger. And I just, I think the saying goes, if you've carried a bag, you can absolutely, you know, understand what your teams are going through. Because everyone's in a form of sales, whether it's a scorecard, whether it's revenue, whether it's EBITDA. I just believe everybody's got a part to play in that. And if you've been on the forefront of losing deals and what that looks like and having to front to people, because you, you do, you put yourself out there about how important this is, especially the bigger the deals got. You know, I remember losing a massive deal around outsourcing, which is selling people, basically, mm-hmm. and having to front the next day, and all these people are looking at me going, that means I've lost my job. And so I think having to go through that with title of salesperson before I was ever a people leader, mm. I believe has made me a better people leader, because I had to front and do some of those things uh, throughout my career. So how, how, as a salesperson, how did you cope with, you know, because you, you don't win every deal, so how did you cope with those knockbacks? How did you um, keep yourself on, on track and, and in a good frame of mind? Not easy. Mm. Really, really not easy. I had to, you know, before mindfulness was a buzzword, really and truly exercising sleep, mm. um, I, I became starting to take care of myself because actually those knockbacks, some of them could last for quite a while. Yeah. Because you really do commit, don't you? Oh, I mean, I remember actually, slightly embarrassed to say this as well, but lost a big deal, went to that then CEO, and he pointed out, but yeah, you, we actually bought all this other stuff over here, and that's worth millions. Like, really? And, you know, sometimes your world when you're in sales, you've got the, you've got the target, you've got the prize, you're going after it. it can take months, some of these big deals. And I remember having just such that massive loss. I, I, I felt like it had, it had eaten part of me. And I think because when you're so passionate about the deal and what you're trying to create, I mean, I've also lost deals when they say, well, you didn't really sell to me. And I was like, didn't you say that you didn't want us to? And then when you don't do it, you're not showing the passion. They feel like you didn't want it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I took the losses easy, but yeah, they've yeah. – they have absolutely made me who I am today because you get knocked down, you've got to get back up again. Is there, is there a particular deal um, through your career that you look back on and remember as, as a one that was you know, just incredible to win that really you know, felt fantastic? Honestly, it must have been about 30 years ago. And there's a bank that's no longer around called um, uh, oh, Country – I can't even remember what they're called now – the National Bank. No, they National Bank bought them, and I remember going and selling to them, and I didn't realise that New Zealand Post owned some of them. Right. And New Zealand Post owned Datacom at the time, or a bulk of Datacom, and so they kind of had it. You know, look, you'll do most of the deals through yep. through Datacom, and I was selling Microsoft licensing, and I remember winning the deal, and the wow. CIO at the time asked me to come into his office, and he goes, "Like, who are you? Like." What is going on? How did you win this? Like, awesome. And, but it really forged an incredible relationship with Ron and I. He became my mentor, and 
because he just couldn't believe that the team went against the sort of way that they were supposed to do business. And it was yeah. just the start of a mentorship relationship to outside of just people in the business that I was working in, where the customer now became, you know, someone that was quite vested in me as a as a professional and a human being. So I always look back on that one, um, yeah, just with a real fondness. And and look, there's so many others. I I, I mean, some of the bigger ones, multi multi million dollar deals, um, incredible because it transforms the business. It truly takes out cost. It truly amplifies and moves a business forward. And um, some of those just really loved being part of them. But as you say, long, long sales cycles. Yeah. You know, yeah. the process of breaking it down, mm. understanding political alignment and competitors and, you know, that's that's the exciting part. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, is yeah. definitely uh, such a buzz. So how do you, in, in, a, in an organisation the size of yours, how do you maintain that sort of entrepreneurial um, focus and that kind of sales focus when, you know, there's a risk, isn't there, in bigger companies of people clocking in, clocking out, because they're so far from the, you know, from, from the outcome. Yep. How do you um, kind of build that culture into the organisation? Do you know, Microsoft's been on a massive cultural journey, and the easiest way to say it is become a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And mm. it really resonates with me about having a growth mindset and truly building the trust with customers where they let you in. And that's what I've watched over the last few years at Microsoft. You know, we were once the company, I heard that, that companies would see once a year, slide in, go, you owe us all this money for licensing and you wouldn't see us again. Right. We have to earn the right. We have to build trust. And I just love now the, the way with which our teams engage with customers and we're on the journey together. We're never going to front up and say, hey, Fonterra, we know your business better than you. Mm. But boy, we're going to know enough to be dangerous that when we front with something, yeah. we believe it's going to solve a business need you have, not sell you the latest shiny widget. Mm. Mm. So I think you know, Microsoft have had their times of you know, going backwards and certainly under Satya Nadella's leadership has transformed the company because it is about the central point of culture. It is what grounds us and how do we just continue to be learn-it-all uh, people and I love that. Learn-it-all, not know-it-all. Learn-it-all, not know-it-all. Love it. I love it. Vanessa, if you look back on your career, what do you think the secret of your success has been so far? So from, you know, from where you've come from and where you are currently, what do you put that down to? Doing the things, taking the roles that others say you shouldn't. I truly, you know, when you have the type of upbringing I had when you had nothing, I've always felt what's there to lose. And so it's a bit like when the person at the, you know, you're, you're checking out with your groceries and they're telling you to buy a stock, get out of it. And so I've always felt that with my own career. With others say you shouldn't do it, that's when I've gone, actually, that's when you should. And so take on the things that really stretch you. You know, I've learned that no one knows how to do that next job. No one. And so bring your own flavour. Don't be scared about replacing someone who's amazing. Be different. And so I think that's what I've always done. And I've had incredible people around me that truly believed in me, like really could see something. You know, I always say I'm not, I'm not educational smart, but I'm street smart. Mm -hmm. And 
But actually now I've really spent the last 20 years really educating myself. Right. So it's how do these things come together, whether you, you know, you lead from the brain or from the heart, you know, understand where you come from. And that's that's what I've done. And I've just taken spaces when I just want to run the other way and go, I can't do it. But actually, you know, when I feel like I'm about to fail, put your hand up, ask for help. And I just, I think I got really good at doing that throughout my career. People I really trusted who can sort of, you know, talk you off the ledge and say, you've got this, you know you have and you can do it. Well, you spoke before about mentors. So I'm assuming Chris is in that group of people to talk you down from the ledge. But yeah. you, you, you spoke about mentors before. So yeah. have you deliberately built a group of mentors around you? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think quite deliberately in my younger years as well, People say that I have absolutely no fear. Whatever your title, I'll just rock up to you. Um, you know, done that with Sati Nadella and many people. I just see people are just human beings. I've yep. never, yep. ever been bothered by a title. But I've looked at people that really could challenge me. Mm. And when I was younger, I used to go to mentors that will tell me the things I wanted to hear, how great I was and all that. And I think there's a point in time when we all need those accolades. But as the older I got and the jobs and the roles got bigger and more pressure... I found a network of people that would actually tell it to me straight. Right. And, you know, and I, I'm just so fortunate. I have incredible people who I go to and still do uh, to ask for that help and am I on track. But probably the person that knows me best is Chris. I think it's the spiral of, he says, every new job I get, I go through this, I can't do it and <laughs> what's going to happen? And, you know, but he sees the signs, right? You know, when I took on the MD role, I got the role 1st of April, April Fool's Day. First thing I had to do was shut the office, say no one could come into work. And you, I, you got the role just during COVID, didn't yeah, you? just at the start of COVID. Wow. And I'm like, how do I lead through a computer? Mm. So I had to re-understand my own identity and I could feel it happening. I could feel not sleeping well, mm. not exercising. And it was him. He just went, you know, hey, break this cycle. You have got this, you know, and just I think people in your court that truly can give you the feedback when you most need it, but are there to support you when you look like you're drowning. And I certainly was. It was not easy. And you become stronger through it, I believe. It's unusual to hear the managing director of a large company say, you know, I was finding it difficult. Really unusual for them to be that vulnerable. Yeah, and people say that. I mean, I've had a lot of feedback that I'm an open book and maybe too open. But I think if it helps one person, when going back to those early days and looking at those two women CEOs, I thought they were untouchable. I, I thought, you know, how can you have a family? How can you have it all? And and I think it's my role to say it isn't easy being a working mum and it isn't easy in big roles, but I'm proof you can do it. And I think the more vulnerable you can be as a leader, I think it genuinely helps other people. And that's why I started sharing my own story, you know, four or five years ago. I was kind of at the age of what's the worst thing that could happen. Like, you know, they can't, <laughs> they want to fire me, they will anyway. Yep, yeah. But I just, I love that I can be my full authentic self. And that includes sharing with others that, you know, some of these journeys aren't easy. And I'm sure many people, many leaders went through that in COVID and didn't know what to do and didn't know who to go to. We didn't know the length of time. No. All of those things. And so, but what I feel now is there was so much goodness out of that. You know, having dinner with my family every night, 
mm. um, not traveling all over the world all the time. And, and so how do we get to this real hybrid working? Let's not throw away the goodness of the last few years. Let's really make sure we keep hold of the goodness. So you've started traveling again. <laughs> yeah. So what are the things? What are the things that you're keep you're holding on to from from that period? Look, there's nothing like human connection, mm, mm. and I, I get my energy around people. So I must admit, you know, I have terrible FOMO if, if other people are doing things and I'm not there. Yeah. But I'm going to balance it. You know, I don't have to be at everything. I, I'm, you know, it's 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 time for others to have those you know those opportunities as well. I mean, the recent travel they were all very very different th- reasons, yep. pent up because we couldn't do it for so long, mm-hmm. and um, there's nothing like it as well. It's actually pretty exciting getting on that plane and sort of going away. But I also. You know, I don't hang around. I get home pretty quickly. I miss my family. Mm. And so, you know, it's important for me to keep my weekends, like, about us and, you know, and, yeah, work something now that's integrated into our life. So yeah, yeah. how do we make it work for us? Vanessa, this, this, has, been, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you. The, 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 way, um, the way we always end is we ask our guests to give the single piece of advice that they would give our listeners, something that they can go in action tomorrow, what would that be? Set really big goals for yourself. Write them down. When you put them to paper, you'd be amazed at how true they come. You know, I think that's the one thing when I look back at that 17-year-old landing in New Zealand and my father saying, set goals. And I just despite him, I did. And I remember, you know, meeting Chris at 18. We bought our first unit buying that villa in Mount Eden, like these were things I'd written down. And I just think if we don't, we spend so much time planning in business and writing business goals. What's your personal goals? What do you want to earn? Where do you want to be? It's okay to say the type of car you might want to drive. What sort of life do you want? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just so pleased I'm still a goal setter and I still write them down and and you know, and then probably the final thing is I just say to women in particular, you're 80% more awesome than you think you are. Vanessa, brilliant. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, you're, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. Thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters, listeners to the podcast can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.